0: Man, Truly, we are um, grateful. We are grateful to the Lord for his goodness and his kindness toward us. It's always a good thing to be reminded of the goodness and um, just the kindness of God and all that he has done. Um, I think we could all say that if we look back through the course of our lives, we could all pinpoint um, just things that even as they were happening, we may not have felt good about it or it may not have been good. But, how God in his sovereignty and his providence has worked so many things together for our good and for his glory. And so um, in thinking about that, obviously it is leading up to um, the Thanksgiving holiday. And, you know, it is very common for many of us to, to sort of reflect and be more thankful during that time of the year. And so it just so happens in the providence of God that the sermon is talking about the fact that you have a testimony. No, I did not plan this specifically for a Thanksgiving message that just happens to be where we are in Acts at this point. So um, I'm just praying that today will be a good time for us to be reminded of the testimonies that God has given us, but for us also to be reminded of the purpose of those testimonies and what we are to use them for. So I just pray as we are preparing and to get into our Thanksgiving holiday that we will use this time as a time to reflect and think about all of the wonderful things that, God has done in our lives. So if you are anything like uh, me and Christy and Alicia and some other people, victory back there, if you are anything like us, my dad Katrina, then at some point in your life, you have been in a testimony service. You have been in a testimony service. Now, you also probably know that if you come from a similar background to us that not much testifying actually happens in a testimony service. There's a lot that gets up and people say a lot, but you realize that much of what they're doing is really just kind of telling you about what they did and how they got over and how the Lord specifically worked it out for them. And I even heard somebody once say that the Lord had saved a parking space specifically for them. You know, never mind the old lady. They had to run over to get their parking space. You know, that's what the testimony service, unfortunately, was reduced to. And I don't think that we necessarily need to return to a testimony service. But I do think that the sharing of our testimonies is actually one of the more faithful ways that we as believers can communicate the gospel's impact on our lives. One of the problems that we face, however, is that many times, because we know the depth and the breadth of our testimonies, we're just uncomfortable sharing our testimonies. We're uncomfortable sharing some of those deeply rooted truths and even understanding some of the past sins that we have had to endure in our lives. And I get it. You know, last week we talked about Christianity versus the culture. And one of the things that we see that the culture does is that they uncover things in our past as a means to invalidate us. And so we often fear sometimes because of this council culture that if something is uncovered, that may be true about our past, that people may look at us in a different light. But that's the way we kind of have to put it out there as believers. And so what we're going to do today is see that, yes, sharing our testimony will absolutely open us up and make us vulnerable in terms of the people that we're sharing with, but it also allows us to communicate the gospel in a more beautiful way than we usually would have an opportunity to if we would just be faithful enough to share. And so today we're going to see an important time that Paul is before, a hostile group of people, and yet... He is going to perfectly intertwine the gospel into his testimony of what God had done for him. So, before we begin, let me just go ahead and say this, put this out there for you. This text that we're going to read today is not about you, okay? It's about Paul, it's about his testimony of salvation. So, there's no need for any of us to insert or interject ourselves into this text. But what it does show to us is that there is something powerful and there is something redeeming about our testimonies that God has given us regarding our salvation. And there's nothing that you or I should be ashamed of when we are sharing. So go with me to Acts chapter, 20 to Acts chapter 22, and I'm actually working um, through several verses, verses here. So it says, brothers and fathers. Hear the defense that I now make before you. And when they heard that he was addressing them in the Hebrew language, they became even more quiet. And he said, I am a Jew born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city, educated at the feet of Gamaliel, according to the strict manner of the law of your fathers, being zealous for God, as all of you are this day. I persecuted this way to death And since I could not see because of the brightness of that light, I was led by the hand of those who were with me, and I came into Damascus. And one Ananias, a devout man according to the law, well spoken of by all the Jews who lived there, came to me, and standing by me said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very hour I received my sight and saw him. And he said, The God of our fathers appointed you to know his will to see the righteous one, and to hear a voice from his mouth. For you will be a witness for him to everyone of what you have seen and heard. And now why do you wait? Rise and be baptized, and wash away your sins, calling on his name. When I returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple, I fell into a trance and saw him saying to me, Make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly, because they will not accept your testimony about me. And I said, Lord, they themselves know that in one synagogue after another, I am present and beat those who believed in you. And when the blood of Stephen, your witness, was being shed, I myself standing by and approving and watching over the garments of those who killed him. And he said to me, go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the word of God that we're going to get into. Lord, we just pray that this time that we're sharing together will be a time of Revelation, it will be a time that, God, we can see with clarity that you have given us the pattern of our lives. You have taken us where you've taken us. You've allowed us to do what we've done as a means to ultimately glorify you and sow the depth of our sin, so that we can see the height of your salvation. So I just pray that as we read today that it will encourage us, specifically during this season of Thanksgiving, for us to look back and see how you have worked out our lives and our salvation according to your purpose. But there will also be motivation, God, for us to share our testimonies to anybody um, that we meet. So in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so we hear Paul's testimony here verbatim for, from his mouth. And let's be honest. I mean, we know the life of Paul prior to his salvation. Paul has a messy testimony, doesn't he? It's quite messy, actually. He starts back here by saying and going back as far as he reasonably should go in order to communicate how connected they actually were. And I want you to see a few things to understand the importance of not only having a testimony, but also why it's important to share your testimony. And so the first point in today's sermon, why you should share your testimony, is because it keeps us humble. Sharing your testimony, knowing your testimony, it keeps you humble. Paul introduces himself and he quickly gets to the mucky parts, doesn't it? He? he doesn't wait around. He doesn't preface it by saying anything. He says that he persecuted Christians, those belonging to the way of God, but not just that he persecuted them, but he says, I persecuted Christians of the way to death. That is undoubtedly a gruesome reality concerning his pre-salvation days, isn't it? It's one thing that Paul had to live with the personal guilt of having the blood of innocent men, women, and children on his hands, but anytime anyone asked him of the manner of his life prior to his salvation, every single time he had to rehash those gruesome deeds that he had done in persecuting Christians. I think this is actually one of the reasons that as Christians grow and grow and the longer that they are Christian, you'll notice that as they get more years under their belt, Christians stop sharing their testimonies. You'll notice that we tend to become a little bit perfected in our present and really perfect in our past. And we don't really address the fact that there is real sin that existed before we came to Christ. There was a real definable way that we were living our lives until Jesus met us where we were. And the problem that happens with that is that the further and further we get from our past, the further and further we get from our testimonies is that it fills us up with a false sense of pride and righteousness. as to think that we ourselves are the reason that we are saved. If we get too far removed from the sins of our past, inevitably what will happen is it will make us judge harshly the sins of those around us. Look at what Proverbs 29 and 23 says. It says, one's pride will bring him low, but he who is lowly in spirit will obtain honor. I think Proverbs puts puts it succinctly here. Our pride not only brings us low, but it actually makes us low. An unwillingness to share our testimonies to, to, be, to be vulnerable to people in that way and how God has saved us is a firm denial of the grace and mercy that we have received from God and it communicates that we are the responsible parties for our salvation. Not only that, but it makes it almost impossible and it makes us almost unable to reach anyone because of our shield of self-righteousness. And we've all met those people. We've all been in those churches where everybody has been saved since birth. They came out of the womb claiming salvation. And when you ask them of their former life, they can almost say, I don't remember a former life. Well, if you don't have a former life, then your former life is your current life. We all must have a former life in order to say that we have been saved. We have to, in some way, be walking in the newness of life, having forsaken The old life that we once walked in. And quite frankly, if we truly believe that we are products of the grace of God, then what valid reason would we have to not want to share that as much and as openly as we possibly could? When Paul brings this up, he is well aware that many of the people here would have known his past. But he doesn't use this as an opportunity to pretend as if his past didn't exist, but rather he uses it as a means to communicate a true testimony of what God had done in his life. It's hard to hold on to our pride when we are aware of our own rebellion, but it isn't impossible. Where have we seen this before? Well, if you look in the Bible, we've actually seen this everywhere. We literally saw it everywhere in the Bible, and we saw it specifically with the Jews, with the Israelites. When the Israelites were being sustained by God and guided by him, they complained. In Numbers 11 and 1, it documents this. It says, and the people complained in the hearing of the Lord about their misfortunes, and when the Lord heard it, his anger was kindled, and the fire of the Lord burned among them and consumed Some outlying parts of the camp. The Israelites, when they complained, had not only forgotten that God had sustained them and kept them, but they had actually forgotten that the reason that they were in the position that they were in was because they had rebelled. Yet God, even in their rebellion, had committed to sustaining them. Why were they in captivity? Because they were rebelling against God. Why were they in exile? Because they were rebelling against God. They rebelled, and yet they believed that they had the right to complain about what God was doing. Forgetting the grace and mercy of God makes us prideful. If you remember what happened with the Jews when Stephen preached, he said that from Joseph to Jesus, you've always rebelled. You are a stiff-necked people, and you have a history of rebellion. He says that your fathers and your forefathers have always gone against the ways of God. What happened? They forgot. That's the truth. They forgot. They forgot that all that they had done had justly earned the wrath of God. Paul had not forgotten that. He says that he knew that he was he has fairly and justly earned his spot in hell because of his evil deeds. But it is and has been the grace of God, which saved him and was sustaining him. But what is even worse is that Paul brings up brings this up and says, and when Stephen came to remind us of our rebellion, you know what I was doing? I was approving of his death. Knowing the depth of our sins and the breadth of God's salvation makes us effective witnesses. And that's our second point. Sharing our testimonies makes us effective. It makes us effective. If you remember, in the beginning of Acts, we hear that the charge to the apostles was that they were going to be filled with the Holy Spirit and that they would become witnesses. In a courtroom, what makes one a witness? It is that they have seen and experienced firsthand that a crime has been committed. You Can't be a witness if you weren't there. So as a believer, what makes us Christian witnesses? It is that we have seen and experienced the grace and mercy of God. Paul recounts with specific detail the very moment that the Lord saved him. He can recount it specifically. In your own life, can you recount the specific moment when God saved you? How does he describe his salvation in other places? Paul says that when it was pleasing to God to reveal his son to him, he did it. What does that mean? That means that he knew that his salvation was a product of the saving grace of God, not him. What are the details of his salvation? In honesty, if you look at the details of his salvation, they are much different than ours. I mean, all right, honestly, none of us obviously have been, you know, knocked down on the ground and been blind and deaf from having been saved. But other than that, it's actually pretty similar to us. He says that in the moment that he finally saw Jesus, he also saw himself. He had also seen himself. And that is what makes us all effective witnesses. We are no longer as we were before salvation bent towards pride, nor do we any longer have an inflated view of ourselves. We are witnesses to the redeeming love of the Savior for his creation. So we testify of what he has done for us you don't know this about me, but I'm an avid watcher of many old television shows, one of those being one of the greatest shows known to man in the heat of the night. And in the heat of the night, there's an episode where a blind woman had heard next to her that she believed that her neighbor had been murdered. And so she calls the police and she tells them exactly what she had heard. And she says that if she heard the man's voice again, she could properly identify him. Because she knew exactly what he sounded like. She'd even gone as far as to say that based on the size of his footsteps, the sound of them, she could tell exactly about how much he weighed. And so as they're working, they're able to piece together who they thought the person was and eventually do what's called a voice lineup. And so what they do is they have her sit on the other side of that glass, you know the glass you can't see, they say they can't see you through. I never trusted that. But she's sitting on the side of it. And because she can't see, she does a voice lineup, And she they have they have each one of them say the phrase that she heard the purported murderer say. And she's able to properly identify him. Now, when they go to trial, the argument of the defense is that the police have relied on an ineffective witness and an untrustworthy source. Why do they say that? Well, because she's blind. They say we can't trust that a woman who can't even see that a murder committed was committed could actually identify that a murder even happened. And the prosecution closes his argument by saying that while this woman may be blind and while she may appear to be unreliable to the defense, the fact of the matter is this. There was a murder committed. She was there. She heard what happened. And she could testify of the event. Whether you think she's reliable or not is moot because she was there. I'm telling you this now in the same way when the world tries to invalidate the fact that we have had an encounter with Jesus Christ. The fact of the matter is, is that, yes, we are all blind witnesses. When Christ saved us, we were all unreliable sources. We were all blind to the truth. But in the moment that he saved us and we experienced the efficacious love of God, we became effective and sufficient witnesses. Why? Because if nobody else experienced what we experienced, the testimony is that we were there. I was there in the moment that Jesus Christ snatched me from the grips of hell, death, and the grave, and he redeemed me. Nobody else has to be a witness to that, because if nobody else saw it, I was there. I know the depth of the evil of my heart prior to salvation, and only I can testify of what God has truly done for me. In the world will always do his best job that it can to invalidate us. But the fact of the matter is, when it comes to declaring the nature of our salvation, we were there. You don't have to be the most eloquent. You don't have to be the most educated. You don't have to know all the doctrinal statements of the faith. All you have to know is that Jesus saved me. That's all I need. All you have to know is that while my life was opposed to God and when I was on the fast track to hell and destruction, Jesus met me where I was. He didn't leave me where I was and he saved me. The story goes that atheist David Hume was sitting in the crowd of George Whitfield preaching. A man sees him and recognizes him and says, I didn't know you believed. And he goes, I don't believe, but he sure does. That should be the case for all of us. When people hear us, they should hear the conviction behind our testimonies. The conviction behind our testimonies is what makes them impactful. But it's Jesus that makes them powerful. Finally, the last reason that we should share is that it makes us human. It makes us human. I went out to lunch this past week with um one of our small group leaders at the school i'm glad alex isn't here because he's actually his small group leader and so we went out to lunch and as he began to share he started to tell me about his life before salvation and he told me about his life's wife before salvation and he talks about how he was addicted to pornography and how he has covenant eyes in order to still resist the temptation. And he tell, he even told me about how close he comes sometimes to watching porn and how he has to find, you know, his accountability partners. He told me about the fact that his wife was a lesbian before they had gotten married and how she had never been with a man until they started dating and they got married. And he tells me about how in 2017 his wife caught him watching porn and, how they had a miscarriage because of it and how the child they have now that's three who goes to school with Elliot had um, had some difficulties and has to have a speech therapist. And now his wife has to have hormone shots because she's pregnant right now. And the whole time I'm listening to this, it is like water coming out of a, a hose pipe. I'm talking. I'm like, oh, my God, like what in the world? Like, dude! like you do you. You ain't got no shame, like you just telling it all. But and I started to realize, it was one of the most refreshing conversations I had had in a long time because for him, it wasn't a testimony of anything that he had. Done. There was mucky stuff there. There was some filthy stuff there. But his whole point was, but look at what God has done in my life. Look at how I'm a product. Look at how my wife is a product of the grace of God. Look at how our children, look at how God has taken the brokenness of who we were and has made it a picture of his grace and his mercy. And I remember thinking, man, I wish everybody would share like this. I wish I had the same ability to be as vulnerable as he was because he knew that it was a testimony of what God had done in his life. I think sometimes it's so easy for us, specifically me, to get so deeply involved in the theology of it. And we try to get so deep involved in the this and the that of salvation instead of just being real with people. People just want you to be real. This is a beautiful part of Paul's testimony, isn't it? Here he is, the world's most intelligent and gifted speakers. And yet he comes to them with the simplicity of his testimony. And he tells us this in 1 Corinthians one. I think this is what we should think about and understand the importance of the lives that we live. He says, for Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, but not just preach the gospel. He says, and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. Look at how beautiful that is. He said, I was sent to preach the gospel, but it is important to know how he had been sent to preach the gospel. He says that he was not sent to use big words or to impress people with his knowledge. No. He says that he was sent to just give the people Jesus. Think about it. He says that if he had come doing that, coming to impress people, then the cross would have been emptied of his power. Why does he say that? Because when we try to use our skills and our gifts, then people will deify us. They will see that we are glorified and they'll be more impressed by us than they are convicted by the cross. So why does this make us human? Why does sharing make us human? Because in some sort of way, every single one of us should be surrendering our gifts to a greater call. And we're allowing God to be God in our lives, but also in our stories. There is a common strain that runs through all of us. At some point, every single one of us was lost. Every single one of us. Not one in here was more or less lost than the other one. And so when we share with others our need for our own salvation, we can then bridge the gap to their salvation and their lostness. Now they see that if my lostness was not too much for God to save me, then it won't be too much for them either. It places the onus on God and it makes us dependent on him. And so this is what I leave you with. You have a testimony. You have a testimony. And if you are a Christian in this room, you need to be sharing it. People need to know about the depth and the breadth of God's salvation in your life. You have a testimony. And let me tell you this: none of us has a testimony that has been completed. It's not. It's not finished everything that we endure, everything that we go through, every time we conquer sin in our lives, every trial that we go through, all the tribulation that we are experiencing right now, that is God building your testimony, but not to glorify you. It's to glorify him. It's to glorify him. Let your light so shine that people will see your good works, the product of the grace and mercy in your life. But glorify your father, which is in heaven. So if you are a Christian in this room, you have a testimony that somebody needs to hear. That is laced with the gospel. And if you're in this room and you are not a Christian. if You're watching and you're not a Christian. Then consider this the time that God is building your testimony. And let this be the day that the full revelation of the gospel and what God has been doing in your life is revealed. So I'm going to close in prayer. And I'm going to pray that God gives us opportunities to share. Listen, you know, I feel like I can be as eloquent as I need to be in sharing the gospel and communicating it. But if I can't communicate specifically what God has done in my life, I'd be hard pressed for anybody who wants to listen. So we're going to pray and I just pray that while we're praying that you will look for opportunities to share your testimony. And ask the Lord to open up your heart to be vulnerable. But also see that the things that you may be going through is God currently building your testimony. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the word of God. Lord, we thank you that. Each one of us in this room who names themselves as a Christian is so not because of anything that we have done. But it's all because of what Jesus did for us on the cross. We are not a product of our own works, of our own faithfulness, of our own goodness. We are products of your grace, products of your mercy. God, we are nothing without you. And so, God, we just ask that you will make us vulnerable before you, God, when we have opportunities to lay it out, that we will spread the table of what you've done in our lives, what you've done for us, and there won't be any shame, but we'll be willing to be vulnerable before you. That we can stretch out ourselves before people and say, this is what Jesus did For me, because as he was stretched out on the cross, I can show you the depths of my sin apart from him. And I can show you how deeply I was sinking in my sea of sin. But the master of the sea reached way down. And from the water, he delivered me. Lord, there are people in this room are watching, who do not know you, God, I pray this will be the day that you reveal yourself to them. This will be the day that they pass from death to eternal life, understanding that there is no darkness of sin, there is no stain that the blood of Jesus cannot eradicate, And as you bore that on the cross for us, we thank you, Lord, as we get ready to go into this Thanksgiving week, that we'll be able to look back and not just be thankful for what you are doing, but be thankful for what you have done. It is in the name of Jesus Christ that we pray. Amen.